uh, just said that I, I have the pleasure of making St. Louis my home. And that is not the case. The reality is that the people of Rooftop Church have made, have made St. Louis my home uh, time and time again. I have eaten at your tables. I've been to your parties. I have smoked cigars with your husbands around campfires. <laughs> right? <laughs> not. In, in Psalm 23, it says, You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. The only reason I have any abundance or any kind of favor I feel from the Lord is all because of the efforts of this church. If you are new here, I want to say that you're, you found a good spot. And it has been an incredible blessing to me over the past three and a half years to have been here. So if you're looking, stop looking and just hang out, please. Um, but I don't want to take any more time away from God's word this morning, amen? Uh, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it. God, thank you so much for Rooftop Church, and thank you so much for your son who loves us and what he does for us on the cross, that we can strive towards peaceful communities that honor you. Uh, God, please teach our hearts this morning what it means to love our weaker brother and sister but mostly teach us what it means to love your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team, and I looked really good in that tight little, like, spandex thing. Yeah, oh, <laughs> too excited, <laughs> Nate. Uh, it wasn't, it didn't look good. It looked like, you know when you hit a can of rolls on, like, the side of the counter, and it pops open, and the rolls are sticking out? It's like that, except my body. Um, one day, during this like, awful week at the end of it called conditioning, wrestling training, um, we had to do two laps around the track in a certain amount of time, and I was a really, I was a really big dude. Um, and I was the last one to get there, and I was feeling super defeated and filled with shame, and I just wanted to be done. And I was absolutely like the weakest member of my team, and, like bar none, just Donnie, just exceeding the limits of weakness, apparently. And, and right in the middle of feeling sorry for myself, my whole team... They were apparently in that time got up off the bench because they had finished and they decided to run and meet my pace and run with me to support me, to love me, encourage me, their weaker brother. Um, they gave up a freedom they had. They had finished this thing and they could go sit to their heart's desire as much as they wanted. They chose to give that up and to come and run with me, to come and support me and encourage me. And uh, my teammates giving up their freedom, their mindfulness of me, their thoughtfulness, their sacrifice was really important to me. Um, and they had every right to sit on the bench the whole time. Like, they had no reason to run with me, but they decided to make the sacrifice and build me up, encourage me, and make me stronger, the weaker brother. And that is the same message Paul has for us from Romans 14 this morning, that you and I are on the same team, and we're working towards the same goal, peaceful Christian communities that build up. Romans 14 details how believers are to act towards one another in something called uh, disputable matters. One of those matters that is happening in the Church of Rome is food, and they're fighting over it. And that's what we're talking about as we continue this iteration of our series in Romans. And the title of this section is called Food Fight, because people in the Church of Rome were, were bickering about what foods you can eat and, and what, food, what things were on the table for Christian believers. And these matters 
are ultimately inconsequential to the, to the gospel and the Christian faith. And, and Paul's writing to the church in Rome to tell them, hey, stop fighting. Stop bickering over things that don't matter and get up and support one another to metaphorically help your brother and sister finish their race and to get off the bench. And if you don't know, Romans is a book in the New Testament, and this book was written by a dude named Paul. Paul is a first century Christian missionary. That just means someone who travels around telling people about God. Um, Rome is, Roman is about how new believers now are to act in light of something called the gospel. Um, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, a perfect man, came down from heaven, who is also God, uh, to die for you and for me, and that he rose again, and he sealed our life eternally by his own power. That's the gospel. And now Paul is saying, in light of that cool news, in light of Jesus, here's how you are supposed to act. And so he's like, tell the church of Rome, get off the bench and go, go and run with your weaker brother. Find your, find your like, perspective Donnies and, and go and run with them. And, and the reminder, the big idea from the book of Romans in 14, 19 is your actions have consequences on others in your community. Therefore, you stronger believers, be conscious of the needs of weaker believers and make sacrifices for them. So let's read Romans 14, 19 through 23 this morning. Follow along with me on your phone or in your uh, physical Bible, or it'll be up on the screen behind me. Romans 14, 19 through 23. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you see this big idea coming together. Your actions have consequences, Paul tells the church in Rome, on other people in your community. Therefore, you, you stronger believers, be conscious of the needs of weaker believers and make sacrifices for them. That's pretty simple. And, but to clarify, just before we get into all of this, I want to I tell you what I believe the weaker brother and sister to be. The weak is someone who doesn't possess an understanding of the freedom they have in Christ to act in matters that are non-essential to following Jesus. So matters that the Bible does not expressly forbid, people were drawing lines in the sand. Paul's saying, stop that. And like, in your own conscience, bear with this before the Lord. If you don't think you should do it, then don't do it. The person who doesn't understand yet that Christ's redemption makes everything clean is restricted from eating. And he's saying, well, if it's wrong to you, then don't do it. For the stronger one, it's someone who does uh, possess an understanding of the freedom they have in Christ to act in matters that are non-essential to following Jesus. And if you want to kind of know what those are, go back a few weeks, listen to Pastor Matt's first sermon in the series, and he'll catch you up. But for now, in Romans 14, 19 through 23, Paul's asking the church in Rome to pursue a peaceful community that builds one another up. That's actually verse uh, 19. But people were fighting over these Unimportant issues. Have you ever known someone to fight over an unimportant issue? Probably. Probably in your churches. 
actually. These, these stronger believers were being insensitive to these weaker uh, brothers and sisters calling, causing them to sin. And this lack of thoughtfulness can cause the work of God to be destroyed. And it's not normal destruction, like, I just, like something just falls apart. The, the work that God is doing in people's lives is saving them and waking up their hearts and introducing them to Jesus. The word for destroyed here is an important word in the New Testament. It's kataloue, uh, right? Everyone knows that one. It's the very same word Paul uses when he talks about something, big scholar Bible word, eschatological destruction. It means destruction at, on the eschaton, at the end of time. It means final judgment kind of uh, destruction. Paul's saying that the lack of thoughtfulness for more mature believers can lead to the eternal destruction of weaker brothers and sisters. Weaker brothers and sisters are at risk of this eternal damnation because they begin to do things against what they believe proper following Jesus to be and against their conscience, and that comes from the influence of these stronger believers. They're being led to sin by stronger believers because these, these stronger ones aren't willing to sacrifice eating meat and wine in front of them. You see, this is more than just eating something and drinking wine at a dinner table. The Jews have certain restrictions on foods in the Old Testament, and those things connect them to this incredible identity they have in God and being God's chosen and holy, holy people. It was much more to a Jewish Christian in Rome than not eating meat. It was like, am I sacrificing my heritage? That's, that, that is where Paul's writing to. He's not saying, the, Jesus said, don't drink. No, that's not, what, that's not what he's saying. That's why these matters are kind of disputable. He's saying, be mindful of those brothers and sisters who are saying they don't drink because it connects them to their heritage and they believe that restricting themselves, they're in the right. Because the Bible doesn't directly comment on this issue. So let them believe what they believe and it's wrong in their conscience and fine. But if it's right near, it's fine. But stop fighting about it and work as a community towards Jesus. And even though these stronger Christians have every right to eat and drink whatever it is they please and eating and drinking what they please, uh, because no food is now unclean under Jesus in this new covenant, they should sacrifice those rights in front of their brothers and sisters because it builds them up and it encourages them and it creates a community of peace. Paul is saying, give up the things that will cause your brother to stumble. That's verse 21. Because those things don't matter if they get in the way of someone following Jesus. It's, it's simple. Paul, Paul goes on to say that it's actually, it's actually better for the strong believer to make sacrifice and to be conscientious. The sacrifice of freedoms benefits the spiritual well-being of weaker brothers and sisters. And the question, like, how, how does it benefit them? Because in save, Because Jesus saves people when you don't put stumbling blocks in their way. I mean, he's going to save people regardless, but you, as a Christian, want to make that path from A to B as easy as possible. And if it means giving up, eating and drinking wine at the dinner table in Rome, do it. End of story for Paul. So you and I get rid of the behaviors that cause our weaker, and bro- weaker brother and sister to stumble. Maybe it's drinking, maybe it's swearing, sarcasm. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's the clothes you wear or how you choose to dress for guys or girls. 
Uh, if it causes your brother to stumble and it's not essential to living faithfully and following Jesus, maybe you should reconsider it. That's what I've been challenging myself with this week as well. Maybe it's eager political Facebook posts in these uh, trying political times on either side of this political spectrum. I have the freedom. I'm not bound by Scripture to not make Facebook comments. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that specifically. So I can choose to do that. But I have friends on both sides of every, every political idea. Like, and that's just the reality you know what doesn't make them feel loved or welcome is when I strongly post an aggressive comment about what it is I hold, hold to when it comes to politics. It makes them feel alienated and like they can't be near me. And I would like to think that I kind of look like Jesus and being sacrificial and loving them. So, in hope that they would come to me when they need to talk about Jesus, I give up these eager political Facebook posts so my brother and sister who might stumble over something like that can come and approach me about it. Because it matters more to me that someone would talk to me about Jesus than talk to me about what are my views on X, Y, or Z. I sacrifice that freedom and hope. My brother and sister may better know Jesus through my example of being conscientious and sacrificial for them. And Paul continues to say, so whatever you believe about these things, these things being matters not expressly denied by Scripture, keep between yourself and God. That means make sure your convictions are fully considered uh, in the presence of the Lord. In these verses, Paul encourages these stronger believers when he, when he says this, keep it between you and God. He's saying, consider this belief heavily before the Lord if it's disputable. And then if it's right in your conscience, fine. But if it's not, then and get rid of it. And you're sinning if you do it and it's not right to you. But keeping your faith between you and God doesn't mean shutting up about Jesus. Or, or not being able to express your opinion in theological con- conversations, especially when you're convicted in your conscience about those things. It does mean that you practice your convictions judiciously, though. And you choose when to <laughs> pull out the actions or behaviors that you do that might cause someone to stumble. And if your practice causes someone to stumble, Paul would say, and it is non-essential to living a holy life and following Jesus then stop doing that thing in front of your friend. If it's fine to you, fine. Practice in your home. But if it's a stumbling block for someone in your life who you love or who could better know Jesus by you sacrificing it, get rid of it. This verse also does not mean, though, that anybody is free to believe whatever they want if it's between them and God. This isn't, uh, you, you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I'll believe. This isn't a born-this-way kind of thing, everyone can have their own opinion. That's not what Paul is saying, because that would be to discount the first 13 chapters of the book of Romans, because he has detailed the exclusivity of this guy named Jesus, and how he's the only way, and how no other religion or thought outside of him will, will escape his eternal damnation and judgment. That is Jesus. Paul is not now saying, but whatever. He's saying, he's still the only way, and consider what you do and believe in light of these first 13 chapters. Paul is saying, based on the knowledge of the Old Testament, and now through Jesus, and for us in the New Testament, is this behavior a holy behavior? Is this one that I can practice? If it is, great. If it's not, uh, put it away. And if it is okay, but causes someone to stumble, be wise. Like, be judicious. 
And then verse 23, Paul says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. See, the weaker brother is condemned if they do something while doubting if a faithful person should be doing whatever that action is. Eating or drinking, Paul would use it as an example. But it's bigger than that. It's, it's thoughts, it's ideas, it's how I act in really any realm of my life. If someone is like, should a faithful believer do this and does it, they're not acting in faith or they're acting in doubt. Even if the act itself isn't wrong, it's wrong for them because they're not acting in accord with what they believe proper Christ following to be. Their faith isn't informing their behavior and if they do some action without being confident of it before the Lord, they're sinning because they're not acting in faith, a faith, uh, <laughs> they're not acting as if they've, they've figured out what they believe before the Lord on matters that don't matter kind of thing. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. That, that just means that if you don't live dependent on Jesus and God, ultimately you're sinning because you're not living within his will for you and his will for you, ultimately, that you would know him. It's not, are you putting on your pants in the morning in faith? Like, what would that even look like? I don't even think of anything before, like, 8 a.m. So it's tough, like, what, what does it mean to take a sip of water in faith? Or, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think that's too micro. It's much bigger than that. And Paul makes faith much bigger than that. Faith is your whole life. Are you acting like you are a follower of Jesus? So in these verses, Paul is saying that Communities shaped by Christ's love are peaceful and build people up um, at the expense of their own liberty. <laughs> and I think, I actually know we live in a culture that deeply values our liberties and freedoms. And I think Paul would actually say, that's great. And there are people, I mean, as Americans, freedom is kind of sewn into our DNA, like at the very basis on which we operate. That's kind of a thing. And I come from a long line of men and women who fought in, in wars, like, really up until me, who are not in the military, who have, who have gone on and done things for my freedom that I deeply, deeply respect and deeply love and deeply agree with them in their actions. We don't want to be regulated here. We don't want to be impeded upon or told what to do or what we can't do. I think, I think at least generally you can agree with, I don't want, no. I love my freedoms. I love doing whatever I'd like. But as Christians, our citizenship isn't of the United States necessarily. It's of heaven. When you become Jesus, he kind of, he keeps where you are, but he changes your zip code, right? Like, that's, that's what happens. You, you become a resident of a new place, but he's like, stay there, though, and tell people about this cool new zip code, which is awesome. And Paul would say, yes, your freedoms are good, but just be wise about using them when you use them. And if they're possibly hurting someone else's walk towards Christ... Are you willing to sacrifice those liberties you have in Christ? Are you in some way actively caring about the needs of others in your community, at the work, at, at the work, at work, or at home? Do you put the needs of your husband and wife before your needs? At the gym, do you let someone else lift before you? Boom, I don't know. Are your actions contributing to the overall well-being of a community? Ask yourself, is, is this place, either rooftop or your office or your home, is this place better because I am here? And living and acting in full knowledge of a gracious God. 
And are people seeing Jesus more perfectly because I'm, I'm willing to be like him? And if you're failing in those places this morning, man, welcome to the party. Because I am a terrible failure. Often I have anger issues where I value myself. I, I'm going to hear a minute a story where I didn't value someone's opinion or thought. But Paul is here, and he's faithful in helping us, and that's great. And if Paul's aim is to encourage communities to uh, upbuilding and peace, he gives us two answers to the, question, to the question, how do Christians build peaceful communities? The first one is, they are conscientious of other people in their communities. And the second one is, they make sacrifices for people in their communities. Let's start with the first one. How do Christians build peaceful communities? They're conscientious. Romans 14.20 says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So in order for me to avoid destroying the work of God by making my brother or sister stumble... I have to know the needs of that person. It's implicit, but it's there. In order for me to make sure I'm regulating my behavior in front of somebody, I have to make sure I know their needs. And this is, this is, a, this is a challenge to stronger and weaker believers also. If you would maybe consider yourself one of these weaker believers who are still figuring things out, and that's not a bad thing to be weaker, and the connotation there is not fair. It just means you're growing still, if you're feeling that. If you're one of those weaker believers... Uh, you have to open up and be vulnerable and be known and be in communities. And if you are stronger, then you should know full well that God calls us to know the people we fellowship with. Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together. Do not give up getting to know people. And in Romans 14.1, when, when Paul says, accept the weaker brother, Paul means welcome them in like they're an old friend. <laughs> give them a pat on the back. Give them dinner. Let them stay as long as they need you and I are, are tasked with the pleasure of finding out how to care for God's people through being in thoughtful, sacrificial community with them. Let that fall on you, man. You and I are tasked with the pleasure of finding out how to care for God's people through being in thoughtful, sacrificial, intentional community with them. I want to I, have a, I, have a, I want to tell you a story. Um, as you just heard at the beginning of the sermon, I make very stupid jokes sometimes. A can of rolls, what is that? I have one joke that I say pretty often when I'm in a community of people I, I really trust um, that is very stupid. I won't repeat it here, actually, because it's very dumb. And I have a really good friend who doesn't enjoy that joke and has asked me kindly many times, uh, not to say the joke, and I just shrugged off this aversion, well, I'm super funny, good for me, huh? Um, I'm just getting a rise out of him, which isn't good of me. The issue is that the joke really isn't funny, which is like kind of my brand. Like, nah, that was almost funny. Good job, Donnie. And the other issue is that my friend is a survivor of sexual assault. And one night I made the joke in their presence, and through their tears, they told me why that joke was so deeply offensive to them. And while the joke itself has nothing to do with sexual assault, it did 
remind my friend of something traumatic that happened to them. And in that moment, they said they were living this terrible thing. And through tears of anger, they told me in that moment, they don't, they don't like me very much. I was absolutely not being considerate of the effect of my stupid joke on someone's life. I was being very thoughtless, and there's no peace in being thoughtless because when you don't consider the position or station in life of the other person, you are deferring your love away from them, just like I was. And Christ says, and Christ says, love that person. And Christ is love. So if you're not thoughtful, you're probably not being loving. And if you're not loving someone, then you are certainly not a Christian. All, <laughs> that's not disputable. If you are not loving people, you are in, you're probably not saved. I was concerned with myself. And I was putting my need to be funny before understanding someone else. Where they come from, why they were offended. And this is the exact opposite of the community Paul has in mind when he's writing the church in Rome. Something about being united to Christ, Paul advocates for, is that you would be thoughtful, is that you would be kind, and that you would be loving, and that we would care deeply for other people in our community. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, Paul writes, Do Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Paul holds that Christian communities shaped by the cross are conscientious of the needs of others among them. And that Christ-shaped communities hold the relationships they have with their brothers and sisters more closely to their hearts than their own personal interests and freedoms. I was not being conscientious when I made this joke to my sister in Christ of, of her needs. And I put my interest in being funny before caring about her and being thoughtful for her. Oftentimes we think of ourselves before we think of other people. And maybe you're in the same boat with me, and if you're not, then I'm, help me. I'm your weaker brother. But is that where you're at this morning? Are you thoughtful of your interactions with people in hopes that because you're being thoughtful, they will better see Christ? Or do you just live your life like, it's just me, lone wolf? There, there are no lone wolves in, in the gospel and Christianity. There is no one person. We are only one body. Do you consider the needs of others and value them more than you value your own? And I fully admit to you that I have not done this, and I fail to do it every day. Being conscientious of others really matters and is a sign of a community that longs for the peace of Christ. Being considerate builds people up. Valuing them makes them feel loved by Christ. But being considerate can't be the end of it. Like, cool that you thought of something that might offend someone. If you still do it, what's the point? He who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it still sins. That's what the book of James says. Paul takes the idea one step further. If you know the need your brother or sister has, you sacrifice this non-essential matter for the benefit of that person, which brings us to our next point. How do Christians build peaceful communities? They make sacrifices. It is good, <laughs> this is verse 21 through 22, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. 
Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So we've covered that you need to know the needs of your community, but knowing something does nothing without sacrificing those things. And we go back to my, and we go back to my previous story about me and my friend. My friend was deeply offended by a very stupid joke. My friend told me that it reminded me of a trauma that they had survived through. When I understood when my, where my friend was coming from, when I was thoughtful about their situation and compelled by love, I sacrificed that joke. One, I admit to you, I'm not fully convinced is wrong. But in hopes that my sister is better off and sees Christ more clearly, I get rid of it, even if it's right in my own conscience. Because it matters more that she would see Christ through me than she would see my own selfish, dumb joking. You and I should be compelled by love to lay our lives down, to sacrifice for people who, who may need to know better Jesus through our sacrifices. That's actually how Jesus defines love in, in John 15, 12 through 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this commandment is so tough because it asks so much of us. It evaluates if we truly love our brother and sister. Are you willing to lay down your life for them? That if we do love our spiritual siblings in any way, we'd be willing to give it all up for them. And maybe it's drinking that leads someone away. Maybe it's swearing. It's not just about vices. It's about spiritual state about tending to the heart of the matter. If anything you do leads someone further away from the cross, get rid of it. And perhaps these things are entirely right in your conscience and you've reasoned it out. Fine, cool, neat. Paul would dissuade you from doing those things in front of people who may stumble because they don't have the same assurance in those things as you do. Paul would encourage you and I to evaluate those things and who we do them in front of. And you're blessed if you hold that belief to be right, but if it causes someone else to stumble, you get rid of it. You should see the needs of others in your community and make sacrifices accordingly. But the motivation, the reason we sacrifice is because Jesus did that for us. This isn't going to be on the screen. This is Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Just listen to it, please. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, Jesus is the one who got off the bench. He's the one who foregoes this, this freedom he has in being in heaven and being God. And he stepped down and laid aside some of his powers for a short time. And supported us and saw us like saw their donnies huffing and puffing and runs up beside us. But Ephesians says it's much more than that. That you and I could do nothing for ourselves. If if we were on a track, you and I would be dead at the start. We can't save ourselves. Christ picks up our dead and lifeless, sin broken lives and runs the whole track while holding us. <laughs> You see, Christ saw our death that we inflicted on ourselves by sin. Christ then chose to set aside his power to come to earth. Christ embodied what it meant to make sacrifices in light of the needs of other people, and his example should encourage you and I to do so as well. 
Christ knew very well how deeply humanity needed redemption and never consider the things you have done and do while they might be right before the Lord too big to move out of the way of someone in your life who is struggling, especially over non-essential matters. How incredible must Christ's love be that he would come down here and die for us and rise again. That's great. And just like Christ came to be with us, we who are the weakest in this relationship, we are thoughtful towards the needs and convictions of weaker brothers and sisters and make sacrifices for them just like Christ did for us, that we may build one another up in communities of peace. And this is the message available to you this morning, that Christ came and died and rose again for your redemption and for the communities of people you live in if you have faith in him. And if you don't think you need to be redeemed, you probably need to be redeemed. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what Jesus does for us on the cross. Let's talk about how if our salvation were left up to us, it wouldn't be salvation. It'd be works. If it were, if it were up to me, it'd, it'd all fall apart. But it's not. It's up to a perfect Jesus Savior who picks up your lifeless body at the start and runs the race for you. If you'd like to have a conversation about what faith looks like, I will be in the back of the room at the end of service. And I would love to talk about it. But let's pray. God, thank you for Christ. And thank you for his love for us. May we every day strive to be like him and live in communities that produce peace and build people up like your church has done for me. Thank you so much for that, that Christ loves us enough to come here and die for us and redeem us. If there's any sleeping heart in this room this morning, I pray they would be awakened to the great love that God has for them. Thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.